Um, our passage tonight is Isaiah sixty-five seventeen. So turn there, Isaiah sixty-five seventeen. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Just a quick context, and then really one point and just kind of application that will flow into that one point. Um, The context of Isaiah gives us really an overall theme of all of Scripture. People are sinful. God offers grace. Uh, by his very word to the world that deserves judgment. He offers comfort for his people who are exiled and displaced in this world. And lastly, it encourages us how to prepare for the coming glory by holding fast to his very word. Isaiah was a prophet that told forth God's message in the current situation that he found the people in at that time. But he also was foretelling the future. The last third of the book is mainly predicting the future. This of creating a new heaven and a new earth is a promise to a certain people. To a certain people. And our text is about a promise. What people is this promise to? To all people? No, not all people, but God's people. Those that have trusted in God's word and have obeyed him and have turned from their sins. In this chapter, there is a clear contrast between life lived obeying God and turning from a life that, it says in verse 2, walks in a way that is not good, following their own devices. They provoke God, it says in verse 3. These people are destined for the sword and shall bow down to the slaughter, it says in verse 12. Why? Why? In verse 12, it says... Uh, a little bit later in 12, because when he called, they didn't answer. When God spoke, they didn't listen. For they did what was evil in his eyes. In the end, they're in big trouble. We all are in big trouble. And if you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, or maybe you've um, grown up hearing this your whole life, like me. I grew up in the church. I I heard it my whole life. And I would say yes to it as a young kid, but it never really changed uh, my life, it didn't have an impact. So if you're, if you're here um, and that's you or you're not a believer, um, sorry, I got lost here for a second. The thing I want you to see in this text, the thing I want you to see here is that God is eager to bring people into his kingdom. God is eager to bring people into his kingdom. But you must, as Brad said, you must have a proper knowledge of God. He is holy. He hates sin. And we, are people, we, are, we people are sinful. It says in verse 1, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am. I spread out my hands all the day to the rebellious people. You see his eagerness there, right? You see his eagerness. Do you see that God is offering grace? He's saying, come near, drink of my grace. He's eager for you to come, but you must believe in Christ. For, for Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith, he lived a perfect life. He died the way we deserve to die on the cross 
with his hands spread out all the day. After three days in the grave, he rose from the dead. Jesus said in John 6.40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and will be raised with him on the last day. True conversion means turning from former sins, obeying God's word. John 9.51, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. All of a sudden, the promise of a new heaven, a new earth that we see here in Isaiah is for you. It's for us. So God makes the promise here in Isaiah. We see Peter taking, talking about the, the, this very same promise that Brad preached on this morning. And in Revelation 21.1, we see the promise coming true. As John gets a glimpse, he gets to see it, this new heaven and this new earth. So I thought I would just read all three of those so we can kind of see them together and let Scripture inform Scripture. So Isaiah 65.17 again. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Second Peter 3.13. But according to this promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And then Revelation 21, 1-5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth, had passed away, and the sea, the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. He also said, Write this down, for these words are true are trustworthy and true. And he said, it is done. It is done. This puts every exclamation point ever used in a sentence before to shame, right? It is done. Victory. The victory is already done. We know who wins before it ends, before it's all done. The, the former things, they are forgotten. Don't, they don't even come to mind. How should this affect our life? How should this affect our lives? What sort, of, what sort of people should we be? What sort of people should we be? Well, we probably should be happy, right? Gladness should flow from us. We should have joy. It should be on our lips. We should be abiding in Christ and His Word completely. Obeying Him begins to be easier. The victory is won. He is creating new and making all things new. I think we get a picture of how it should affect our lives in, in Isaiah 65, 18, right after this new heavens and this new earth. He says, But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her peoples to be gladness. Knowing the victory, knowing that God's word hap will happen and his promises will come true, he is trustworthy. What should we do? How should we act? Like people who don't have hope? Like we're finished? Like giving up? 
No, not at all. None of those. Right? We have hope. We have hope. So come with me. Come with UBC. And let's go together. And let's be diligent to be found without spot or blemish. Let's be found doctrinally and morally pure. Let's walk away from sin. Let's grow in our grace and knowledge of Jesus together. Let's help each other in applying the gospel to each aspect of our lives. Let's not neglect to meet with one another. Let's guard our lives according to the word. Let's love like Christ loved and lay down our lives for one another. And as Brad exhorted this morning, let's let's share Jesus to a dying and suffering world that has no hope apart from Christ. He is coming soon. It could be a thousand days, a thousand years, or one day, right? Whatever the case, we should live differently because of the victory that we have. Because it's soon. Let's not be a people like, like in Noah's day. Let's pursue, let's pursue holiness with expectation of his return any moment. Let's be found without spot or blemish. We are all longing for escape for, from, from pain and from suffering, from disease, from death. We do different things to escape pain. Some turn to social media. Some turn to watching every moment and second of the World Series, only to be disappointed again. Some turn to shopping. Some turn to sexual immorality or to money or to drugs. It's evident in our, in our culture that in the opioid crisis that um, 72,000 people died last year from it. The year before was 43,000. So it's growing. And what do these drugs do? Well, they numb pain, right? They numb pain. And it's sad that we go after these things to numb or to divert our minds from pain. They don't do it. They don't, they don't take the pain away. They add pain. They only distance us from our Creator. We go after sin to escape the pain and the fall of sin. And I guess it's kind of that going back to the vomit, right? God has His hands stretched out. God is promising us, promising us ultimate rest, a, an escape, a vacation. It's fun to think about heaven, right? But it's important to note that that's where Jesus is. Jesus is heaven. So a major theme in Scripture here is that if if you want heaven, you have to want Jesus, right? Because where Jesus is, is heaven. And this perfect relationship with God, He wants to dwell with us. He wants to be with us. So to want heaven is to want Jesus. And that you can't separate them. If you want heaven then you have to want Jesus. And you have to, if you want rest, it's the same thing. Jonathan Edwards says to believers, it becomes us to spend this life only as a journey toward heaven, to which we should subordinate all other concerns of life. Why should we labor for, our set, labor for or set our hot hearts on anything else but that which is a proper end and a true happiness? Happiness is what we all long for. Well, guess what? As we know in this text, we have it. We can have it in a second. If we're not in Christ, you can have it in a second. Because with Christ, there's victory. Because Christ defeated death, he started to reverse the curse of sin. 
We have been purchased by His blood, redeemed, made new, given freedom. The first time in our lives, freedom. So live in that freedom. Don't go back to the the vomit. Live, Live as a child of God being adopted and saved from the judgment that we did deserve. We all like to think about heaven. We sometimes tend to hyper, be hyper-imaginative where you think about playing golf and you're riding maybe a, a dragon instead of a golf cart or something. <laughs> or we're utterly unimaginative about it and ultimately fall short of what heaven will be like. I want to encourage you to think about the new heaven and new earth in light of Scripture. We need a biblically inspired in imagination. And if you think on it correctly, if you listen to God's word, he tells you sweet things that will bring you joy, that will cause you to rejoice. He's telling us sweet things in this passage, sweet promises, sweet truths, hopeful things. And it should encourage your soul to press on and to wait with eager expectation for his return. Let's pray. Father, we, pray, we thank you that you are making all things new, that you are redeeming and restoring. We thank you that you will wipe away every tear and every sorrow, removing death's sting. Father, help us to live in that reality, a reality that you keep your promises, and because of that, we have victory. Help us to long for that day when you will return. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.